My name is Max Villalobos. I have been part of Seacoast for the last six years, along with my wife Nadine. Um, I am on leadership, uh, a member of the Elder Board. And my story is that I came to the U.S. Uh, 50 years ago. Um, we moved from Mexico. My parents uh, let us know that we would uh, be moving from Ensenada to Long Beach. And um, all of my siblings, all 10 of us, uh, were going to be making the move to the United States. And while that was exciting uh, initially, um, after I got into school in sixth grade, it was just uh, a lot more difficult. Not knowing the culture, not knowing the language, being um, one of the very first immigrant uh, families and kids in the school what was difficult. Uh, people were mean-spirited, uh, bullying, uh, got made fun of for not knowing the language, the way I dress, the cowboy boots I wore, and that was difficult. We were not allowed to play up front. Uh, we didn't want uh, to be, uh, to stand out or stick out. So it made it difficult. We didn't feel like we fully belonged. We were in a new place and it was uh, truly a blessing but it was difficult. Uh, so um, what made a big difference in my life and the life of my family and my siblings is when a neighbor, um, uh, Chester and his wife invited us to attend Long Beach Brethren Church. There we um, received uh, love. We were welcome. We were included. Uh, we felt part of the family immediately. And that, um, you know, really translated to uh, not only being accepted and welcomed, but feeling loves God. And age 16, as a sophomore, I uh, accepted Christ in uh, Sunday school. And also the connection through North Long Beach Brethren. I got to meet my wife uh, through a connection uh, with Hume Lake. So God really blessed us. For me, um, being Easter time, there's a clear connection there to my experience coming to this country, to attending uh, church, to being welcomed. Um, I really felt and feel that Jesus offers the same for us. Um, he is uh, asking nothing in return of us. He just uh, wants to give us His love, His acceptance, and the ability to receive him into our lives um, by believing in him and accepting the free gift that he gives us through his grace. For anyone who felt that disconnection, that loneliness, that not fitting in, I encourage you really to be able to have the opportunity to know that there is a church body that loves you, but the most important, that there is a savior in Jesus Christ who loves you who wants to be your friend, who wants to be there with you, to have that personal relationship with you day in, day out. He never leaves you, he never forsakes you. He's always there for you. And that is such a blessing that I have in my life and I wish you can have the same for you, for your life. Well, I love hearing that story of New Day Rising where you can have a, a family, an immigrant family who feels totally alone, uh, kind of 
unaccepted in a place until they encounter a group of people who knew Jesus and were transformed by what the resurrection means that will look like and that changes everything. So I love those stories and it's so encouraging to hear those. So great to be with you here this morning. Happy Easter everyone. There is, there is this uh, ancient tradition where Christians would greet one another, and sometimes, it, it, for me, it, it can feel a little strange sometimes, but uh, they used to say, he is risen, and the response was, he's risen indeed, and it's tradition. If you've never heard it before, if you hear it every year, you go, why do we do this? That's why we do it. It's, it's this ancient historic connection with Christianity. So, he is risen. Oh, good. And it also helps the pastor wake you up a little, so you're there. So this is an interactive sermon. You are allowed to, uh, to respond and, and, and interact a little. So Easter, uh, we're, again, we're so glad to have you with us. And uh, I'm not sure for you if you're here as a guest, uh, but either way, we are so grateful that you chose to spend this morning with us, this important day on the Christian calendar. And maybe you say, well, I didn't choose to spend the day with you. Um, I came, this is my once a year gift to my family. And, and if it's that, well, thank you for giving a gift to your family and being here with us. Uh, we'd love to spend this morning with you. Uh, you know, Easter for some might be about uh, the Easter egg hunts or, or uh, the, the candy, but I guess that's 1900s. The candy, it'd be like the, the, the vegan alternative to peeps or whatever. Now that's what it's about for maybe some of you or, or, or whatever it might be. Uh, or the family gatherings. Just the, some are maybe gathering with family this year for the first time in a year. I know as I've talked with some of you and as vaccinations have come out and, and you're feeling more safe and comfortable, I know some of you will be gathering with family today and that's a big part of it as well. In fact, there's a story of one little kid who was at his Easter dinner with his family and he walked in and saw the big spread of food and the great desserts at the end and he knew if I eat my meal, I get to the dessert. So he dove in, filled his plate and started eating and his mom said, Billy, why, you can't start eating yet. We haven't prayed for the food yet. And he said, well, I didn't know we had to do that over here at grandma's house. And he said, no. She said, Billy, at home, you know we always pray for our food before we eat. And he said, yeah, mom, at home, but grandma's a good cook. <laughs> so wherever you go today, <laughs> if you prepared the meal or not, if they pray before, please don't be offended. <laughs> But uh, however it might be, we know that it is about family often in the gathering. So whatever it is for you, one thing for us as, as a church and as Christians, this is the most important day on the calendar. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote that I give you of first importance the, the death of Jesus, uh, that Jesus died according to scriptures, that he was buried, but he was raised on the third day according to scripture for the forgiveness of our sins. So Paul said that of first importance, the most important thing we can know is this idea of resurrection. Later on in that chapter, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, I have this on the screen for you. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and also your faith is in vain. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. So the extent of the significance of this day, according to the authors in the Bible, is that if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of this is really worthless, and we should be at home right now, enjoying a meal by yourself or, or with your family, and just have the whole day to yourself, maybe out hitting the waves, whatever it could be. But Paul says, if first importance, and the most important thing is that the resurrection happened, because if it didn't, this is all, we, this is a waste of our time. Now, some of you might be here and say, well, I have a hard time believing that someone 
could be raised. I have a hard time believing that someone was resurrected. So you're not even at that starting point because you think of it and you just think, this, this story is unbelievable. And I want to agree with you, this story is unbelievable. It's, it's difficult to believe. And there's a few things, and I'm not going to get into the deep arguments. I'm just going to give you a very quick synopsis of some of the logic, the plausibility of it. And, but we have to start with this. If we believe that there's supernatural... If there's a supernatural God, then supernatural things can happen. Would you agree that, that line of reasoning? So if you're saying, well, I don't believe there, I don't believe that there's possibility of a God, then it's hard to get beyond that. But, but just whether, wherever you're at, go with me for a minute and say, okay, let me hear what's also plausible. So if, God, if there is a God, then this, of course, anything is possible. Another thought is this. Uh, many people would think that these uh, first Christians kind of, they wanted to believe that, that, that Jesus was still with them, so they kind of went back and created the myth of his resurrection. They said it's, it's like a metaphorical resurrection. But we have to wrestle with a few things if that's true. First thing is this, is who would give their life for a myth? To watch your family be sacrificed, or a family be tortured and killed for a myth? Who would at some cases, die upside down on a cross? Who would let themselves be beheaded? All of these things, if you knew, well, we made this story up, but I'm gonna go to the grave with this belief. It logically doesn't make sense. There's another thing. Historians will tell you, those who look at ancient literature, that the accounts of the resurrection according to Christians are written not in mythical language, but they're actually written with historical language. They actually have a lot of parts of them that are a bit comical. Even in Luke chapter 24, if you ever read that, go today and read it. There's, there's elements of it that are not mythical. They actually are just these facts that when you look at it, say, there's, this is just a bunch of people not quite understanding what's going on and trying to make sense of it. And in the language, one of the things that all the Christian writers have done that you would never do in the first century is they use women as their first witnesses. Now, before you get offended at that, because some of you are like, well, what's wrong with women as witnesses? I'll believe a sister way before I believe a brother, okay? Now, that's for us today, but in first century, the witness of females was not admissible in court. It couldn't, or any other document, you couldn't use the testimony of a woman that was saying that's invalid, Right there, that's invalid. Men, don't hold on to that truth. We have evolved. That is not the way it is anymore. But in first century, you would never do that. So why would the writers say this unless they were just saying, this is what, this is what happened. The women were the first witnesses. This is the story. Because that immediately would have caused everyone else to say, you believe that story? You believe the women? Just a thought. Another thing that's is that they don't use any mythical language, I mentioned that, but they actually use what we call historical footnotes. In the accounts of it, they drop names of people who saw it and who are witnesses. In, in ancient writing, when you're doing history, anytime you dropped someone's actual name and told us where they're from, that was like saying, that's your works cited list. That's saying, oh, you know Cleopas who lives over here? Go ask him. You know Mary Magdalene, you know Joanna, you know the mother of uh, this person over here, you can go ask her, she was there. Ask Peter, he was there. So all of this doesn't exist in mythical language because you could check it out. So again, is that the whole argument? No, but it's enough for us to say, okay, maybe it's plausible, and it certainly seems that the first Christians believed this to be true, that's something they saw. But let's get deeper into why it matters. Because really the idea is this. If Jesus died on Friday and it ended there, then you would say his life was actually didn't mean much. 
In fact, again, in an ancient first century viewpoint, if you died that kind of death, your, idea, your thought would be, God's hand is clearly against this person. God's hand, this person does not have the favor of God in his life or her life. In this case, in the life of Jesus, they'd say, anyone who died that kind of death, clearly God is against him. In fact, even in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. That's not saying that God will curse you if you died on a tree, but if your death was so humiliating and undignified, then clearly God is not for you or with you. So if the story ends on Friday with death, and those of you who like to take notes, you can put Friday and put the word death there. If it ends there, then the story, Jesus' life was not validated. And all of this is worthless. But if Sunday happened, if he was raised, then all of a sudden, instead of saying, oh, God's hand is clearly against him, now you're saying, wait a minute. Now it seems that God must be absolutely for him because there's something very different. This just doesn't happen. So now it not only is saying he's against him, but there's something special about this person, and God is with him because of the resurrection. In fact, think of it this way. I have this for you on the screen to think through. If Jesus did rise, and that vindicates his life, then we can believe he is who he said he was. We can trust what he said was true, and we can know that he accomplished his purpose. So think of that. If he did rise and it vindicated his life, then we can believe who he said he was. Well, who did he say he was? He said he was Israel's Messiah, the anointed one sent by God. He said he was the son of God. He was actually God in flesh, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So if he said that and he rose, now we start to say, okay, I'm, I'm listening. Now I'm listening. If it stops on Friday, I'm not listening because you can say anything you want. Yeah, I'm God. And then you die and you say like, some God. But if he rose and beat the power of the grave, let's listen to who he said he was. We can also believe what he said is true. So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, you may live even if you die, meaning I bring you eternal life. We want to look at that and say, okay, if he did rise, then what he said is true. We can start to believe it. He also said that I came to give you life, not just for eternity, but for today. We want to believe that. I wonder how many of us actually believe that. Or do we just believe, sure, sure, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. We, we get that. But do you know that you can have abundant life today? Jesus said that was true. If we really believe that, then we want to look at our lives and say, am I experiencing this abundant life? The other thing is this. We can know that he accomplished his purpose. That Jesus' death meant something. If he is God, if he rose, then his death was not on accident. You could think of it this way. If Friday is death, then Sunday equals deliverance that it delivered whatever happened in between, that he set all things in motion, set them right, and he was delivered. He was delivered from the grave, and you and I can be delivered from, into a future eternity with God. We can be delivered from our struggles and our sins today. We can be delivered from our addictions, from our relational issues, from our pain, because if Sunday happened. You with me on that? Tracking that so far? Okay, now... If we just said that, if Jesus rose, we can trust, or we believe who he said he was, we can trust that he said it's true, and we can know he accomplished his mission. That's the story of Easter right there. We can be done right now. And some of you are like, thank you, let's go. 
In fact, there's one pastor on Easter morning once said this, hey, I have three versions of my sermon for you. I have a $100 version, and it's 10 minutes long. I have a $50 version, and it's 20 minutes long. And I have a $5 version, it's an hour long. Now, I'm going to pass the offering baskets, and you're going to tell me how long you want the sermon to be. But since it's the season of COVID, we're not passing an offering, and I'll assume you just want a series of $100 sermons, so we'll keep going. <laughs> because the real story is if Jesus rose, then we can trust who he is, and that changes everything on Sunday. But I know some of you are here today, and you don't feel like you're ready for the Sunday message. Maybe you think, well, I believe it, but I just don't experience it. You feel like you're kind of stuck somewhere between death and deliverance. You're kind of somewhere in the middle. You say, Ryan, you don't know how my last year has been. Maybe you've been out of work and you've been struggling financially. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and it's just been a battle this last year. Maybe some of you have lost a loved one. Maybe some of you are battling your own health issues. Maybe you're battling addiction. Maybe you're wanting to be reconciled with a family member and it's just not happening, that there's a schism and you're just thinking, I just, I would love Sunday to be true. I would love the power of Jesus to actually change things, but I'm just, I'm not there. I want to show you two verses in the Bible. In John chapter 19, verse 41, it says this. This is on the day of the crucifixion. It says, now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, the tomb was close at hand and they laid Jesus there. In other words, on Friday, Jesus died and they said, it's Friday, this is the Sabbath on the Jewish calendar. So whatever happens tonight, we need to get our work done before sundown. So even burying a body. So they put him in the tomb, even before fully preparing him, they put him in the tomb on Friday. Now the very next verse in the Bible on John chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. Now on the first day of the week, on Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb and Jesus was not there. So here's what our Bibles do. They tell us what happens on Friday and how Friday ends, it ends with death. And then it tells us how Sunday begins, it begins with life, deliverance. No one tells us what happened on Saturday in between. Can you imagine what Saturday would have been like if you were a follower of Jesus? Do you know that day after someone you love dies, that kind of that numbness that comes, sets in the next day? Maybe the disillusionment that you're just trying to make sense of things. Imagine how it was for the disciples. We know for one of them, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was so overcome with guilt and remorse that he actually took his own life. We know that Peter, who said, I will never deny you, Jesus, and then that very night he denied him, Peter wept bitterly and, and ran off, and all we know is that he was just thinking, I am the biggest failure ever. Could I have possibly done more? Maybe it's my fault Jesus died. What if I just stood up for him? We know that even after Jesus rose, one of the disciples, Thomas, who was our, our uh, skeptic, which some of you probably, Thomas should be your favorite disciple. Everything someone says, you're like, mm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> he even did it to Jesus when Jesus was alive. Jesus said, hey, we're going to go down to Jerusalem. He's like, sure, let's do that and we'll all die together. Okay. Always skeptical. 
The other disciples had saw the risen Jesus and they told Thomas, hey, Jesus, Jesus is alive, Thomas. And he said, I don't believe it. Till I stick my finger in the holes in his hand, I won't believe it. That's bold, isn't it? And a little gross. But, it, it, but, but imagine what he was thinking. The whole time he's like, I knew it. I knew we were duped. I knew there was something about Jesus. I mean, he was a really cool guy, but I, it, it was too good to be true. See, that's Saturday. And sometimes on Saturday, a little ahead of me there on the slides. Sometimes on Saturday, we're filled with disillusionment. That's your D word for that day. And then it leads to deceit. We start to get deceived and we start to believe things that maybe aren't true. That often happens on that in-between. In between that death and the despair and in between the deliverance, sometimes we have that disillusionment. And I think the disciples, can you imagine what they started thinking? It's our fault. We've been deceived. We're such fools. And sometimes on Saturday, we start to believe things like that. I mean, some of you are here and you say, well, I would love the truth of Sunday, but you don't know me. I'm an addict. How can Jesus rescue me? I don't deserve it. Do you know how many times I said, God, if you just get me out of this, just this last time, I will never do this again. Some of you, you say, oh, I know that prayer. I have that prayer written down. And you say, I've failed at that so many times, there's no way God is going to give me another time. Some of you say, you don't know how badly I failed in my marriage. I would love Sunday to be true, but there's just no way, not me. I don't deserve it. That's the disillusionment and the deceit of Saturday. See, on Saturday, sometimes we start believing that our worth is connected to our works. Yeah, you can write that one down. That's a good one. Your worth is connected to your, you, you start to believe your worth is connected to your works. See, that's the deceit of Saturday. Because the message of Sunday is your worth is actually connected to his works, to what Jesus did for you. He actually made you, and I want to show you this, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who just receive what Jesus did, you have the right to become a child of God. Now, if you're a child of God, if that is true of you, I have news for you. Your failures, your doubts, your skepticism can't outdo what Christ has done. Your works do not determine your worth. God's works determine your worth. See, we can live in the deception of Saturday, but that's not what's true. So now think with me for a moment. If I'm a child of God, then his forgiveness is for me too. If I'm a child of God, then, and he has the power to raise from the dead, then he has the power to work in my marriage. If I'm a child of God and he has the power to raise the dead, then he has the power to help me break my addictions and my struggles there. And, and if you're living in this world of Saturday, we get disillusioned and dis filled with deceit because we're not believing the truth of Sunday. Are you with me? No? Okay. Remember the beginning when I said, yeah, he is risen, he is risen indeed. You were with me? Come on, say it with me. Because I might start preaching pretty soon. <laughs> Thank you. 
See, because sometimes we get stuck in the negativity of Saturday thinking. Now, let me just be real for a minute. For some of you here, you say, I'm stuck in Saturday. I would love to believe in Sunday, but you know what? I've been hurt by people who say they believe in the power of Sunday, and they've treated me in a way that I don't want any of that. Some of you, that's your story. It might be because you've been told that until you get your act together, you're not ready for the power of Sunday. Maybe you've been, uh, felt you've been ignored by people who say they believe in Sunday. Maybe it's, it, it's your sexual orientation that you say, I've been told my whole life that I can never experience the power of Sunday. That's not for me until I somehow get my act together. And so you say, I'm not ready for the message of Sunday because the people who say they believe it have told me that I'm not worthy of it. I just want to tell you two things if you're in those camps. First thing is this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry people who claim the power of Sunday have made you feel that you are unworthy of that message. I'm sorry. Because that's not true. And two, what I want to tell you is don't believe the deception of Saturday. Because what Jesus did on the cross, he did it for you and for me and for anyone, everyone in his creation who's willing to believe and receive the gift that he gave. You are worthy. And what he did on Sunday makes you have the right to be adopted as a child of God. And isn't that good news? You are worthy of what Christ has done. Don't come in here and say, I'm not worthy. You are worthy. In fact, look at someone next to you and say, you are worthy. Tell them right now. Because of what Christ has done. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Here's one more thing. If Sunday's true, if, if, if the message of Sunday is real and I can live in that reality, then, then I can trust that Jesus is who he said he was and his words are true, right? So if what he said I can believe, then that means the things he said I want to be a part of my life. And he said this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give him his life as a ransom for many. So if my God came and he rose and said, you can believe me and trust me, and then you can let my power live in you, and now I'm a part of your life, and the way I live, you can live. So now I no longer live a life saying, I need to be served, but now I'm set free to serve. Now some of you say, wait, 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 that doesn't sound like the power of Sunday. Some of you kids sitting with your parents are like, ah, no, 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 don't make me like Jesus. I didn't come to serve. Come on, Mom. But what does that really mean? If, we're, if we believe that message, if we're set free to, and we're to be like Jesus, it means that we come not to be served, but to serve. Now, how does that change us if we live in truth of the Sunday? That means that I can freely forgive anybody even if they don't forgive me back. I can go to someone and ask forgiveness even if it makes me look weak. Do you know why? Because that doesn't change my reality that I'm a child of God. And because I came now to serve, not to be served, so I am now set free to actually be selfless. Because it's not about my position or my power or my pride. All of a sudden, none of those things matter because it doesn't change who I am. So I'm free to forgive. I'm free to ask forgiveness. I'm free to have compassion and to give 
my life up for someone else. Maybe even a people group I don't understand. Maybe even someone who votes different than me. See, now I'm free to fully love and not worry about how someone else voted. I don't have to convince you that you're wrong. That's no longer, that's not the power of Sunday. You tracking with me on that? If I live in Saturday and I need to be validated, then every one of my conversations is trying to convince you that I'm right. That's Saturday thinking. Saturday thinking says, well, I don't know if I can trust these people because they voted for that president. And I don't know if I can trust these people because they voted for that president. And I don't know if I can trust these people because they, their position on COVID and masks and no masks. And, and I can't trust them because they, whatever. And we start to say, well, I, this is the power of Saturday. Disillusionment and, and saying, I need to be right. They must be wrong. And we start to point fingers and start to even subtly do little things. Like, I don't know if I can trust this group of people. I don't know if I trust their message. Well, I can't trust you. They've never trusted me. I don't know if I like them. Their kids aren't as good as mine and, and, and yours aren't. But, um, and we start to find ways that we can position ourselves and make ourselves validated. But that's Saturday thinking. That's thinking that it's, our worth is based on our works and it's thinking that says that I'm not will, I don't have the right to give of myself but on Sunday I have this new power and I don't have to be right. I just get to love. And you can even take advantage of my compassion and empathy just like they did for Jesus. So Sunday thinking changes things. Let me show you another verse. If we believe Jesus and we can trust him, look what he says here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. He says this, Do not be afraid, y'all. It's in there. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead on Saturday. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and to Hades. Did you get that? Do you hear this message? He says, do not be afraid, y'all. I am the first and the last. I've always been here. I'm the living one. I was dead on Saturday, but I am alive forevermore. Sunday happened. Amen? Sunday happened. And if Sunday happened, you got to know, I have the keys to death and to Hades. That's, that's a big key. Most of us, one of our fears is death. Maybe not for yourself, but for others around you. None of us have power over death. So when Jesus says, I have the key to death and Hades, what he is saying is, I have power over all. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to live in the light of Sunday. Do not be afraid to forgive, even though you might not be forgiven. Do not be afraid to admit your failures. Do not be afraid to face your addictions. Do not be afraid to go to your spouse and say, I'm sorry, I'm, I've been failing you, and I want to do better. Will you forgive me? Let's work on this. This marriage is worth saving, and with the power of Jesus, we can do it. Do not be afraid to take that step. Do not be afraid to believe in what, the power of what can happen because of Sunday. Do not be afraid to be willing to listen to the story of someone who's from a different background as you, a different tribe, 
and say, I just want to hear your story. I just want to know you like God knows you. I just want to love you for who you are. Don't be afraid to have that conversation. Don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry because I've been wrong. I'm sorry for the times when I've ignored you or your people or mistreated you, sometimes not even on purpose. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go to a member of the LGBTQ plus community and say, you know what, I'm sorry because I, for my homophobic slurs. I'm sorry for the times when I've ju- put you in a place and thought that God's love wasn't enough for you. I'm sorry. Don't be afraid. Y'all, <laughs> that's all of us. Because the power of Sunday, if it's true, we have a whole new life we get to live. And this is the abundant life that Jesus said he gives to us. There's a speaker and author, pastor, John Ortberg, said this, what got released on Sunday was hope. Not hope that life would turn out well, but hope that called people to die. Die to selfishness and sin and fear and greed. Die to the lesser life of a lesser self so a greater self might be born. And many people did. And that hope changed things because of their belief in the resurrection, because of Sunday. Because of Sunday, we're released from the selfish life that we lived. We're released from the judgmental life. We're released from the life with no compassion or empathy. And we're set free to an abundant life. As we end here, I know some of you might be saying, I love, all this is great, but but seriously, why did God do it this way? This doesn't make sense. If God's really all-powerful, why did he create the world and, and, and ask us to live a sin-free life and then make sin available? Really? It's hard to believe. Why did he do it that way? And if we sinned and he knew we'd sin, why did he have to make sacrificial system? Why did he do it that way? And if he did that, why did he have to make it so Jesus came to forgive us for our sins? Why? It's a great questions. You can ask God. <laughs> I don't know. But I know uh, there's this old Bible teacher named J. Vernon McGee. Many of you maybe have heard his voice if you're from Southern California. I think he had a radio show for like 114 years or something. And uh, I think he taught through every verse in the Bible. And in his uh, high voice, he said one day, he kind of had this high squeaky voice, and he said, this is God, I'm going to try to do the voice, all right? And just every time I do a voice, it eventually turns into Borat at some point with like a, a very nice, but I'm going to try, I shouldn't have done, that. let's just rewind the tape, like 15 seconds, that was, <laughs> I'll try to do the voice, because it, it, it's, I love like this frail, wise old man when he said this, ignore the whole Borat thing. Okay, back to David and Mickey. This is God's universe. And he does his things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. Feels like the best truth of the morning, doesn't it? (laughs) You might have a better way, but you don't have a universe. This is God's way. And we're going to sing one last song here today. And the song uh, is about how God takes graves and he turns them into gardens. He takes things where there's no life and he brings life.
He takes the brokenness of our lives and He is able to make it whole again. He takes relationships that have been severed and He gives a way for them to be healed. This is the story of Easter that He takes. Where he moves from death to deliverance. That is what we are going to sing and remind ourselves about here this morning. And when we do that, I, I just want to encourage you. Maybe this morning God's working in your heart. And for some reason, maybe you want prayer. And you want someone to pray for you even here. I'm, we're going to have a couple people in the front of the room up here on the sides if you want to go and pray to them. If you're online, uh, you can, in the chat, let them know you want someone to pray with you. And we'll connect with you and pray. You can also use, you can go to respond.church. There's, there's a click, a, a connect card. You click on that and you can tell us if you want prayer, you want to make a decision for Christ. You can use your technology and we will follow up and walk with you. But what I want to ask every one of us, whether you have believed this truth your whole life or today you're just starting to come around, is let's leave the disillusionment of Saturday. Would you today experience the truth and the power of the deliverance of Sunday? And if you want prayer, there'll be people in the front who'll be praying, willing to pray for you. And do not be afraid if you want to stand up and get someone to pray for you. Do not be afraid. Because the one who holds the keys to it all is with you. Let's stand together and sing this last song.